The following is a Westminster Seminary, California morning devotion given by a guest speaker. The statements, views, and opinions presented in this message are those of the speaker and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of Westminster Seminary, California. For more information about Westminster Seminary, California, visit us online at wscal.edu or call 888-480-8474. That's online, wscal.edu, or call 888-480-8474. 8474. Uh, we finish off our series inviting different graduating seniors uh, to bring morning devotions. And this morning, we're, I'm delighted to introduce Mark Hogan, who, Lord willing, Lord willing, will be graduating soon to bring devotions. So please come, Mark. It's my pleasure to bring you God's word this morning. If you would turn with me in your Bibles to the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John, chapter 13, and we'll be reading verses 1 through 17. This is a passage on Jesus washing the disciples' feet. Now, before the feast of Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, what I am doing, you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Will you bow your heads with me and pray? Lord, we thank you for showing us this picture of our Lord Jesus Christ, who comes in uncomfortable condescension to his disciples. Lord, we know that we are very proud and a very arrogant people, and we want to ask forgiveness 
for those times when we have not been humble in the way that we should, and we ask that you would work the humility of the Lord Jesus Christ into us, knowing that he went to the cross to effect our true washing. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Dr. Kim often mentions in our prayer group that there are three temptations that overcome men in the ministry. He names three G's, girls, gold, and glory. Sex, money, and power. And it's that third temptation that bears upon our passage this morning because as those here who are getting theological degrees and who desire to serve within the church and to teach within the church, we will be the ones that people look to for answers. We will be the ones, whether we like it or not, who are looked up to for a standard of godliness and for a standard of life and faith within the church. And and I think that when I, I look at myself in this short time at seminary, working in the church, doing internships, preaching, all of the attention, teaching, adoration, and the thanks, all of those things can just pile on and on and on and can go straight to my head. And I can begin to think that I am something very special. Glory is a grave temptation and humility is something that does not come easily for me. Humility is something that is so easy to fake and yet is so, so elusive to my grasp. Andrew Murray said it like this, I am sure that there are many Christians who will confess that their experience has been very much like my own in this, that we had long known the Lord without realizing that meekness and humility and lowliness of heart are to be the distinguishing feature of the master. And further, that this humility is not a thing that will come of itself, but that it must be made the object of special desire and prayer and faith and practice. The only way that we will be like the Savior and in meekness and humility is if we have been served by him first and have been overcome by his condescension to us and by seeing that the one who humbles himself will be exalted. This passage before us, John 13, reveals in such a clear way the humility and the condescension of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Look at verse 1. It says, Now before the feast of Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, He loved them to the end. Now we know from our classes that this hour is a very prominent theme in the Gospel of John. In John chapter 2, Jesus is at a wedding at Cana, uh, and his mother says, they have no more wine. And he replies back, woman, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. In John chapter 7, it says, Therefore they sought to take Jesus, but no one laid a hand on him, because his hour had not yet come. 
John chapter 8, verse 20, his hour had not yet come. So there's this theme building in the gospel of John. When is this hour going to approach? When is the timing of this hour? And then in John chapter 12, verse 23, Jesus says, The hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. So it's the Passover feast. The Passover feast is approaching. Jesus will be offered as the Passover lamb who takes away the sins of the world. And then this hour when, the, when, when Christ will be glorified by his Father. So we see here at the beginning of this text the two backbones of our religion as Christians. Jesus' death and Jesus' life. And the thing that's so amazing to me about this passage is that in verse 4, it says that Jesus knew all of this. In verse 4, it says, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God. Think of the timing of Jesus' action. The disciples are unaware of what is about to happen. They're confused about when Jesus has tried to explain his death and resurrection. We learned last week from uh, Mr. Lauterbach that at this very supper, the disciples were arguing amongst themselves about who is the greatest in the kingdom. And I think we're very much like the disciples, are we not? And yet here is Jesus, knowing all that's in the disciples' hearts, their pride, their arrogance, their boastfulness. And yet Jesus also knows that all power and authority and glory is going to be given to him by the Father. He knows that he's going to rise from the dead and be seated at the right hand of God. He knows that God will glorify him with the glory that he had with God before the world began. And knowing all of this, it says, he rises from the supper, loving the disciples to the end. It's an amazing picture, isn't it? That this passage shines a spotlight on Jesus' love for his, dis for his disciples. One would think that Jesus would have something a lot better to do than what he's about to do for them. The narrative slows down. It says, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from the supper, and then listen to all of these details. He laid aside his outer garments, taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. So you see how John's explained the timing of Jesus' action, and then he zooms in, close angle lens, onto this action of Jesus. And the disciples are in stunned silence because the logos, the word made flesh, as John talks about in chapter 1, God incarnate is stooping down, and he picks up their dirty, cracked, dry feet.
Think of the dirt that was between their toes. Think of Jesus even washing the feet of Judas, who was going to betray him. This is an amazing action. This is uncomfortable condescension. And Jesus comes to Peter and the silence of the disciples is broken. And he says, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, what I am doing, you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. And then Peter says to him, you will never wash my feet. Peter uses the strongest way to say no in the Greek language. He says, ume. You will not wash my feet. And if you're reading in your Greek Bibles, it goes on to say, you will not wash my feet, aston, Iona. You will not wash my feet into the age. In other words, there is not a time now, and there will never come a time into eternity when you will stoop this low for someone like me. Jesus, the superior does not wash the feet of the inferior. The greater does not touch the feet of the lesser. The prince never sets the table in the dining hall. The king does not wash the bathroom in his own palace. A king does not wash feet. And yet here's Jesus washing the feet of his disciples. You see, Peter understood that he should be the one washing Jesus' feet. And we understand that we ought to humble ourselves in the presence of someone we think is truly great. But what happens when the truly great humbles himself to us and comes down and washes our feet? We feel disgraced. We feel like something's wrong. Everything within us that is proud and arrogant wells up against the self-effacement of Jesus who would go to, to such depths to love his own who are in the world. And yet Jesus says, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. You have no participation with me and in what I'm doing. You see, this was about more than foot washing, brothers and sisters. This was about a posture and an attitude of need. See, that a, a human humility will understand that we have to wash Jesus' feet, right? That we have to serve Jesus in some way. But it is only divine grace that will understand that Jesus will have to wash us first. Because what's in us is that we want to bring our service and we want to bring our tribute, but we don't want the status quo to be so flipped around on its head that we then have to acknowledge a need that runs deeper within us than what our service can offer. And that deeper need is our own need to be washed in Jesus' blood. If you've got a problem with Jesus washing your feet, you're going to have a problem with Jesus needing to die to wash away your sins. 
And that's why this statement, what I am doing, you do not understand now, but after you, afterward you will understand, is farther reaching than simply this foot washing. But extends farther out to the cross where the true washing of the disciples was effected. Jesus' very life proved that humility leads to glory. Look at Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself. How did he empty himself? It was by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And then notice this next word, therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed upon him the name that is above every name. It goes from suffering and humiliation and service to being highly exalted to the right hand of the Father above all things. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes... He became poor so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. It is only in light of Jesus' uncomfortable condescension that our temptations to take the glory and to take the power will be quenched. Jesus did not want the disciples to be left unchanged by this action. And for you sitting here today, he doesn't want you to leave unchanged either. Look at what Jesus says. He says, do you understand what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet, for I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. But isn't that our problem? So often we think we're greater than the master. We think I'm greater than the one who sent me. And that is a, a manifestation of how wholly different we still are from Jesus. It's a manifestation of our pride. And yet, here is Jesus saying, I have given you an example that you should follow, and I promise you a blessing should you do it. It is only in light of Jesus' service to us that we can then go and say that to wash the feet of the disciples, uh, of the saints, would be a privilege. Why do we feel like we're more important than Christ? Why do we have such arrogance? I'm so thankful that Christ looks at these disciples, even though on this very night they're arguing about who is the greatest. I'm so grateful that Christ, who loved his own who were in the world, loved them to the end, because if he did not, we would have no hope. 
I would encourage you that in those times when you are down in the dumps, when you are so mad at people in the ministry, when you are so frustrated by school and seminary and all the things you have to do, and all the people that grate on you and ruffle your feathers to remember how Jesus served us, how he gave his life for us, how he stooped to our greatest need so that we could be washed and then follow in his footsteps and realize that the path for us is the path of humility leading to glory, is the path of service leading to glory. Jesus shows us in this passage that by submitting to his washing, we will learn the humility that we need to go out into the ministry and to be abused by people to go through great trouble and tribulation and sadness, and to realize that we don't deserve anything better than what our master went through. And that in such suffering, the spirit of glory is actually dwelling upon us. And that we should rejoice until we reach the day when his glory is manifested in our bodies. Until then, let us walk in the way that Jesus taught us to, not worrying about who is the greatest, not relishing in the fact that we are teachers of God's word, not worrying about how much we are looked up to, but rather relishing in the Savior who would condescend so uncomfortably to satisfy our greatest need, to go out in the power that he gives and to do the work of ministry in serving the weakest, in doing the humble tasks, and looking for nothing in return. Jesus has served us, so what more do we need? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we come to a passage like this, and we're, we're so awed by the way that you knew everything was going to happen, and you knew that you were going to receive all the glory, and that's the exact point when you rose from the supper and you served your disciples, Lord. And when we understand that you went beyond that to the cross and affected the true washing of all of your elect, we are in awe at your grace that you have manifested to us. Help us to relish in that fact and, and, and not count ourselves with more worth than we should, but rather count ourselves as slaves to Jesus Christ. Work in us the humility that will only come by your Spirit working in us, O Lord, and forgive us still for the pride that so easily clings to us. In your name we pray. Amen. Copyright 2016, Westminster Seminary, California. All rights reserved. You are permitted to reproduce and distribute this material in any format, provided that you do not alter the wording in any way and that you do not charge a fee beyond the cost of reproduction. For web posting, a link to this document on our website is preferred.